0: Welcome back, true crime fans, it's TJ, the weirdo with a beardo from Wings 93, with another episode of True Crime Tuesday. This week, we continue the story of Jim Jones, in episode number 94, The Jonestown Massacre. In 1974, Jim Jones and several members of People's Temple negotiated the lease of over 3,000 acres of land in the jungles of Guyana, about 150 miles west of its capital, Georgetown. Jones soon recruited nearly 500 of his followers to begin construction on the People's Temple Agricultural Project, or Jonestown, as it came to be known. And by 1977, the population of Jonestown had grown to over 1,000. And according to Jones and his wife, the vision for Jonestown was to be, quote, "...dedicated to socialism, total economic, racial, and social equality. It was Jim's hope to build a utopian community where everyone was equal." The compound, however, evolved into something that was less of a utopian society and more of an intense labor camp. First, families typically surrendered their children to communal care upon arriving in Jonestown. Jim Jones encouraged all of the children and members of the community to refer to him as father or dad. The compound even had a nursery where 33 babies were born. The adults were forced to live in small communal homes, some made out of woven palm leaves with no running water and no electricity. Temple members were forced to work 12 hours a day, six days a week, for the first several months, receiving only a one-hour break each day for lunch. After work, members were attending meetings at the compound central pavilion, which mostly involved the passing of socialist propaganda. And despite the long hours and rigorous work schedules, food was hard to come by in Jonestown. The soil was poor, and the closest water supply was nearly seven miles away. Temple members ate simple meals of rice, beans, and greens, and meat, sauce, or eggs was a luxury that didn't happen very often. And the residents of Jonestown had to import large quantities of staple food items like wheat. Malnourishment led to health problems, including diarrhea and fever, which were rampant in the community by early 1978. The issues at the compound created unrest among its residents. Adults who caused problems were punished with beatings or locked in a small plywood box. Troublesome children were forced to spend the night at the bottom of a well called the Torture Hole. Those who tried to escape were often drugged and forced to remain. And the grounds were patrolled by armed guards who would catch anyone trying to leave without permission. And although the living and working conditions in the community were poor, Jim Jones continued to brainwash his followers into believing that outsiders were somehow coming to destroy their homes and harm the residents of Jonestown. To test the Temple members' dedication, Jim Jones would host what he called white knights, where he would give his followers four options. First, attempt to flee to the Soviet Union. Second, commit revolutionary suicide. Option three was stay in Jonestown and fight the would-be attackers. And four, flee into the jungle. On more than one occasion, the People's Temple members voted for suicide, and a mass suicide was rehearsed. Everyone, including the children, were given a glass of red liquid to drink which supposedly contained poison, and were instructed to drink it. The exercise, according to Jones, was a test, which would prepare them for a day when they may have to die by their own hands. This is also where the phrase, drink the Kool-Aid, originates. Although the Jonestown residents drank Flavor-Aid and not Kool-Aid. But amid growing internal tension and a drug-fueled paranoia, Jim Jones called all the People's Temple members to the Central pavilion suggesting there were mercenaries hiding in the jungle waiting to kill them. So for six days, Jim Jones kept his people hidden in fear, hunkered down, preparing for battle with an unknown enemy, who never came. The incident came to be known as the Six Days Siege. And by 1978, Jim Jones' health was failing. He'd had a series of small strokes and was prone to blindness and convulsions. He would often have bouts of insomnia where he would stay awake for three or four days straight, indulging in drugs like Valium, Quaaludes, stimulants, and barbiturates. The combination of his failing health and his intense drug abuse continued to fuel his delusions even further, convincing himself and his followers that someone was coming to destroy their way of life. And things truly began to unravel during a visit from the California Congressman Leo Ryan, who was joined by other U.S. dignitaries, reporters, and concerned family members from the Jonestown residents. During their visit, an NBC reporter, Don Harris, was secretly handed a note that said, Dear Congressman, please help us get out of Jonestown. It was clear, something was very wrong. So Leo Ryan and two other dignitaries were allowed to stay in Jonestown overnight, but the rest had to find other accommodations. The following day, nearly a dozen People's Temple members defected leaving the compound in the early morning hours. Several others begged the congressman and his team to take them back to the United States. When someone attempted to convince one member to stay, the man admitted, No way! It's nothing but a communist prison camp! The announcement prompted several others to beg for their release, which Jones granted. With several other defectors in tow, Congressman Ryan and his team left the Jonestown compound and headed for the Port Katuma airstrip for their return home. But when they arrived, they were met by members of the People's Temple Red Brigade security team, where up to nine shooters opened fire, killing five people, including Congressman Ryan, and wounding 11 others. Ryan himself was shot more than 20 times during the incident. Now at the same time, Jim Jones' wife Marceline made an announcement on the compound's PA system for everyone to return to their homes. About 30 minutes later, Jim Jones made his own announcement. Convinced the U.S. would send troops to Jonestown to retaliate for killing the congressman, he summoned all of the residents to the pavilion. And one by one, residents were asked to take a cup of grape flavor aid. Thinking this was just another test, many did. Until it became obvious that the drink really was laced with deadly chemicals, including cyanide. Fear, panic, and hysteria followed as parents dosed their children before taking the beverage themselves. Those who were reluctant to drink the poison were threatened by the Red Brigade to comply, or they would be shot. The Red Brigade members were the last to take the poison. And as his followers fell to the ground one by one, Jim Jones laid next to his chair in the pavilion, dead of what would later be determined to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound. After hearing about the assault at the Port Ketuma airstrip, Guyanese officials reached the Jonestown compound the following day only to find hundreds of dead bodies strewn across the ground. Only 33 of the People's Temple followers managed to escape and survive. In total, 909 people died, a third of them children. And Jim Jones left behind a terrifying piece of evidence, an audio recording known as the Death Tape, where he chronicled the events of November 18, 1978, leading up to the deaths of nearly 1,000 people whom he claimed... To be responsible for. Currently, more than 400 unclaimed bodies from the tragedy in Jonestown are buried in Evergreen Cemetery in Oakland, California, where a stone memorial was unveiled in 2008, marking the Jonestown Massacre as the deadliest incident involving civilian casualties until the terrorist attacks of 9-11. And that is this week's True Crime Tuesday story, episode number 94, The Jonestown Massacre. Join me each week for more stories of true crimes and unsolved mysteries. We'll see you next time.